You are listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin by calling in the spirits to be with us here today. So I call out first to your ancestors, to my ancestors to those people who have gone before us, those who lived well, those who died well, those who learned, those who grew, those who were challenged, and those who rose to those challenges. And I ask those ancestors to be with us here today and bring to us all that is good and true and beautiful in the lineages that flow in our blood. I ask these ancestors to be with us, to gather around, and to help us, the living, do what it is that we are called into this time to do. So I call out to these ancestors in particular who have been here at a time of great change and transformation, at the movement of one world to the next. I ask them to help us to be the living who can truly write a new story for the people, for the new world. And I ask these ancestors to come in close, to whisper in our ears, to speak to us in our dreams, to move with us in our day, that we might truly do what we are called in this life to do. And to do it in such a way that all that is needed for those who are coming is here for them when they arrive. And so with these ancestors gathered around us here today in great gratitude, I thank them for their presence. And I move my awareness now and ask you to follow, to move your awareness from your head to your heart, from your heart to your belly, and from your belly to reach down into the earth. And in that moment of contact, of stopping all the stuff orbiting around in your life, and in that moment of focus and contact with the earth, let us give true heartfelt gratitude for this day for life, for the beauty in life, for the challenges, for all that we understand as blessings and those things that feel in the moment like a crisis. We give thanks to it all. We give thanks to the earth for all that has been that has brought us to this moment, for all that is and all that will be. And we give thanks in this moment for the wonder and awe of the miracle of life. And then we reach our energy down into the earth in gratitude, reaching through each layer of the earth, caressing, embracing, loving, giving thanks, reaching all the way to the very center of the earth. And we anchor ourselves firmly there because this is our responsibility as the living to anchor here in the center of the earth and then ask the earth to rise up with us to bring the energy of the earth up, that energy that restores, that replenishes, that renews, that energy that is at the very core of abundance, of bounty, of all that literally brings life to life on the planet. And so we draw this energy of the earth up, drawing into our very being 
all the wisdom of manifestation, how to be here in form on this planet in a good way. So we give thanks to the earth for rising up into our bodies, to giving us to give us the energy that we need to be grounded, to create a sense of home and a sense of hearth that is open and welcoming to those who are different than we are. We give thanks to the energy of the earth and we use this energy to create a sense of belonging and connection to those who have been and to those who are coming and a sense of connection and interconnection to those who are with us in our time, to the living. And we take a moment to really expand with the energy of the earth beyond our sense of humanness to all those other living things that are with us in this moment, to all life, to feel that great interconnection, this great web of life, to reach out into that oneness and to know our tiny place in that great oneness. And to take from that place right relationship with ourself, right relationship with others, right relationship with our environment, and right relationship with the spirit world. And may we come into these relationships in a good way. And we draw on the energy of the earth to help us to understand what it means to be in right relationship and to use the right use of will. And with this energy firmly within ourselves, planted on the earth, taking our stand, knowing where we belong, we reach up from the belly to the heart and the heart to the mind and out through the mind to the glorious sky above you, whatever weather it holds for you today, open to it and reach out through it, out through the weather, out through the atmosphere and out into the cosmos and out to all of the heavenly bodies and the great wonders and mysteries of the universe, out into that velvety darkness to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you know this energy, name it, touch it, reach it, connect with it and call it down. In this way, we draw into ourselves the energy of blessing and let it come into yourself, into these proceedings, into your day. They are everywhere. Let blessings come in. Let the protection come in and around and infuse your life. We call in the energy of devotion and generosity and benevolence. And in this way, we draw these energies down into our lives, calling in all of the wisdom of the cosmos. We draw this energy in from our head to our heart to our belly and take a moment and just witness the great lovers, heaven and earth, the yin and the yang, here inside each of us in that great dance, this complementary dualism that is at the heart of all life. The understanding of it is at the heart of shamanic teachings. And let this be in your heart today, this dynamic tension that is of great beauty and gives life. So in that place of the big love of these two legendary lovers, let your heart be awakened. Let it open to the great crucible of change that it is uniquely, unique in all the chakras. There is the heart, the heart that can call up the fiery molten passions, beastly and unknown from the lower chakras up into the heart and let them be there in their true nature. And call down the crystalline clarity of the mind into the same space. And let these two energies dance. Let them be together in a way that each brings out the best in the other. And in that union, your soul's purpose is born.
And may you feel that energy there in your heart, born of that dance of these two great lovers. And may you know just a bit more certainly in this day why you are here and find in your human heart the courage to do something, large or small, to bring those gifts into the world. So we give thanks to the spirit help that is all around us, above, below, and around, to help us to be the person, the man or the woman that we have come here to be. We have great gratitude for this spirit help. And I give great gratitude to you, the humans, who through your generosity allow me to be who I've come here to be. So I thank Malama and Renata, Eduardo, Lydia, all of these people that have given financially to the show. Because of your donations, we are able to keep the show alive, on the air, and free to anyone who has access to a computer around the world. The archives have four over four years of shows, hours and hours and hours of listening pleasure, and it is because of you that this is made possible, and I am deeply grateful to you. If this show moves you in any way, I'm not saying it just makes you happy. If it inspires you or infuriates you, know that you have been moved. And it is that movement in the heart that is the motivation of right action. So allow that movement in the heart to move you into action in some way to support the show. If you're not able to donate financially, please do something to grow the show. Use what you're learning Accept one of the challenges. Bring it into your journey circle. Bring it into your own journeys. Learn to journey. Whatever it is that you do, do it to help things grow so that we do actually become the people who can write the story for the people for the new world. And I thank you for joining me in this endeavor. For those of you that have never donated and would like to, you can go to whyshamanismnow.com. You can find the archives there as well as a support button. You can click on that support button and donate any amount you would like to, large or small. And if you would like a monthly reminder for donations, as some people have asked for, please email Andrea and we will be happy to send that to you. So... um, With that said, I also want to thank our producer, CoCreatorNetwork.com, for giving us a happy home uh, to be able to broadcast to you around the world. So we are live this week. If you have any questions about today's topic, you are invited to call in at 512-772-1938, or you can Skype from the co-creatornetwork.com site, or you can email me at Christina at LastMaskCenter.org, and I'd be happy to read your question on the air. So today we're continuing with a um, show that we did last week. We're talking about the shadow. And both of these shows are really dedicated to the courageous men and women who will be joining me the following week for Dance of the Shadow Self, which is the beginning of year two of this cycle cycle of transformation teachings. And one of the things that is beginning to be spoken out there in the reality world that we are sharing is um, the idea that it's not just about our shadows. Thank you, Jung. It is about the collective shadows that we share. And that part of the um, what feels impossible, these tasks that feel so much bigger than we are, is because they are the kinds of tasks that we will change together. And that our disheartening energy around it is because we are participating in and sharing in the creation of collective shadows or communal shadows. And so last week and this week, um, I've been 
talking, beginning to talk about how do we as individuals and groups um, become aware, wake up into our our part in the creation of these collective shadows and how do we begin to pull our energy out. There's there's an awareness that the spirits have been um, sharing with me. They practically have to tie me down and force feed me. But because my nature is to struggle, my nature is to be a fighter and to be persistent and to persevere. And and that tends to create a person who dives into the battle and fights and fights and fights and never picks their head up and just 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 keeps going. And what the helping spirits have done over the years is really shown me that that is not the path. That that to participate in the fight is exactly the distraction the powers that be would like for me to get distracted by. And that that is me participating actually in this sort of collective shadow idea of this great battle between dark and light and fight, fight, fight. And that instead, this is really about understanding the science I went to school and began to learn about, which is much more advanced now in the, in the cutting edge physics and math, which is talking about fields and the interconnection of energy and, and understanding a much more subtle approach. It still requires warriorship, but it requires um, a different vision guiding that warriorship. And so in particular, what I'm referring to relative to the communal shadows is that we are being asked to simply pull our individual energy out. If everyone were to pull their individual energy out of these massive shadows shaping what's happening here on on the world then it would collapse because there would be no energy there. Um, the, 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 the misuse of power that is defining so many large systems that span the globe now are simply made of individual people making individually bad choices and individual people like us playing into the rest of the roles that go with that shadow story. And so if we refuse to play our roles the shadow story collapses. We don't need to fight. We need personally to change, to participate in life differently. And in doing that, we not only weaken the shadow energies, but our energy begins to strengthen those things that we believe in, those things that we wish to be part of the story for the new world. And that this is, um, I'm, it's been a hard lesson for me. I'm a fighter. I get it. It's hard. But what I understand in this more subtle approach to change is that it is effective. I mean, how many of you were activists in the 60s and 70s? How many of you were raised by people that were activists in the 60s and 70s? Where are we now? If we are going to act, let us act in ways that are effective. And part of it requires a new vision, a new and deeper understanding of what's really going on here. How do powers truly move? And for me, the only thing that has convinced me of this is the helping spirits and their consistent, um, non-agenda-driven influence in my life. So, part two. 
So we're continuing this discussion then of c- cultural or communal shadow energies. Generally, uh, we refer to shadow energies. Um, these are the rejected aspects of ourselves that we put in this archetypal space of the shadow closet. So these are also the rejected energies of the culture that we put in this communal shadow closet. Um, these are, uh, and more accurately, we could say that these are the energies we collude together to reject. We're not usually really conscious we're doing it, but we're colluding to allow it. Um, and in this process then, which is largely unconscious by those of us doing it, and we're all doing it, um, at the same time, this this fact, you know, we're unconscious we're doing it, but the it, the, 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 the shadow energy that it creates and the people involved in it become very easily manipulated then. For example, through advertising. I had this really interesting conversation on a ship one time. Um, it was one of the few conversations with people on the ship that I actually admitted what I did. It was a very small ship and it could have been bad. So anyway, I admitted what I did to these people because they seemed able to deal with the fact that there was a shaman on the ship. And we were talking, they, they were asking me, challenging me actually, you know, what do you actually do? You know, is there anything effective that you actually do? And what I talked about really was helping people to shift their awareness from, from being driven in life by perceived needs to being able to understand the reality of their actual needs. And this guy started laughing and he says, you know, if you can do that, it's genius because he said, you know, I made a gajillion dollars by the time I was 35 in advertising, which works entirely because people are driven by these perceived needs. He says, if there was no more perceived needs, there would be no more advertising. And so this is what I mean, that, that when we play into these collective shadows, because of our perceived needs and our collusion with each other, it's, it's largely unconscious. But at the same time, it makes us sheep, lemmings. I mean, we're really easily manipulated as a group to see things, do things, and begin to believe things. And this is what communal shadow energy is really about. These aren't good energies or bad energies. But they are energies that are made up of aspects of ourselves that we value or that we don't value. And so it's not that they're good or bad. It's just energies we disown for whatever reason. And the point is that due to harsh judgment or fear, we're rejecting these energies. Again, we're not rejecting them because they're good or bad. We're rejecting them because we got taught to. We got taught to judge them or we got taught to fear them. Who do we get taught these things by? People already colluding with the cultural shadow. So it's a great big um, self-perpetuating system that is ultimately, in terms of life on Earth, not sustainable. But back to communal shadows. So these energies are lost then to this collective unconscious, and they end up repressed, undeveloped, and denied. And the important thing to remember from last week's show is that the shadow, whether individual or communal, is a closet filled with undeveloped potential. You know, you're trying to get some energy, resources, ideas, creativity to make something new happen. Go to your shadow closet. It's a ton of potential. Trying to change the world, change the government, change advertising, change the healthcare system. Go to the collective shadow. I mean, it, it is an enormous resource of unclaimed potential 
that is simply being used by those systems that are nefarious enough to manipulate in that way. So pull your energy out. Pull your potential out. Use those allies for your own soul's purpose. So that was the important thing to remember. Well, one of the important things to remember from last week's show. And that this undeveloped potential that we don't know about, we don't know about it because it's unconscious. You know, anything in the unconscious, we don't know about. So the part of ourselves that we send to this communal shadow closet, they ferment, they brood, they twist in on themselves over time, they change until they begin to function as an enemy to the very dreams and visions of the people. And and we can really see that in how banking, which in the old days was a way that those who had could help those who didn't quite have make a step up with a loan or something simple, which you had incentive to pay back early. It was a simple thing, but it's taken on this proportion um, in this communal shadow piece where now this very thing that used to serve a function now functions as an enemy and it destroys the dreams and visions of the people. And in that understand I'm saying we are participating in that destruction and allowing that to happen. I'm not blaming the banks. I'm just pointing out that these systems, when they go into shadow, they start to change. And so every energy that shoved into the shadow was an ally to our shared dreams and visions. In fact, they were necessary allies, absolutely required. So if we are to write a truly new story for the people in the new world, we must recover our allies from the collective shadow. So, in other words, if we are to write a new story for the people, we need, for example, the full range of human sexuality out of the collective shadow. Means everybody gets to express their sexuality, given that everybody's an adult in the room, as they choose to in a way that honors and respects other people's boundaries and your own. And that we can't be saying, yes, yours is okay and no, yours isn't. So this is sexuality is a huge energy, gay, straight, or otherwise, that is trapped in the communal shadow. We need it all. We need everything in the shadow. We need our allies to do what we've been put on the face of this earth to do. So collective shadows happen because we collude together to unspoken rules and practices due to shared and unconscious fears and perceived needs, which are also coming out of unconscious fears. And um, in this, we then agree to play out roles for each other rather than living, speaking, and acting in our truth. And that is really important uh, because the roles that we're playing could be understood as the guides on the path to coming back to living, speaking, and acting in our truth if we understood how to deal with the shadow. So so that's the important point, number two from last week, is that these roles that we play – and that we're playing out for each other in these communal shadows are perfect. These roles are perfectly designed to bring us through pain and suffering face to face with the self we have disowned. And the self that we have disowned is the ally that we need. See, it's perfect. Now, it's not everything is as it should be so we don't do anything perfect. 
I can't stand that phase. Well, everything is as it should be. Makes me crazy because it implies I don't need to act. Everything is as it should be, so I don't need to do anything. Well, no, that's not the point of that spiritual truth. The point of that spiritual truth is much more painful. The point of that spiritual truth is that it's excruciatingly, painfully, breathtakingly Byzantine in its crazy logic, perfect. In the way that if you are willing to follow the crazy logic path, you will meet your enemy, which is the self you have disowned, and you will become the person who can transform that enemy into your ally and become the person who can live your soul's purpose. And we're back to point one. Your shadow is a closet of untapped potential, perfectly twisted for you to learn to be the person who deserves your true allies. The collective shadow is vast. It is shared untapped potential waiting for us to get over ourselves, our lack of confidence, our blame of others, our fear of our power and become the people worthy of our allies. And these are allies we trapped in our collective shadow. And these are the allies that we need to write a truly new story for the people, for the new world. So last week, we explored the collective shadows that arise when we are asked by life to step into leadership and those that arise when we are asked to heal. And so leadership requires a strong heart. It is a thankless task. (laughs) And leadership is the story of expressing power in the world in a way that demonstrates personal mastery and teaches others to express their power. In other words, good leadership breeds good leaders. So a leader in a sense, a good leader, is always trying to replace themselves with the next leader. I just had a moment of realizing how far we are from that. Sorry, I about fell off that cliff. Anyway, back to the, back to the task here at hand. Okay, so when we go into fear... That strength of heart that is really required for that quality of good leadership collapses. And we default to weak-hearted leadership. And weak-hearted leadership means we have to compensate with something other than true leadership. Um, Because that weak heart doesn't find the courage to trust the goodness of others. Or the necessary acceptance, objectivity, and discernment that is required to exercise good leadership. So weak-hearted leadership emerges in the righteous zealots who stand their position at all cost. They're totally positional. Um, And I got some emails and questions about righteousness. And so, you know, I want you to really understand we're talking about the person who would let the world and all life collapse around them just to stand their ground without any understanding that what we need to do collectively is understand what is the essence of the ground that I stand on? What is necessary? What is the part that I bring to the conversation? Not that I own the conversation. (laughs) So another way, so weak-hearted leadership emerges in these righteous zealots. It also emerges in those who lead by stepping into the role of the judge. They consider self-reflection a sign of weakness, responsibility, is the act of sissies, right? They never admit to anything. 
right? And they blame others for everything that is wrong. And that is those who lead through judgment. And then the shadow of the leader also emerges in those who lead through control. And they are so attached to their outcome that their vision is not adjusted in any way to accommodate reality or reason, right? Nothing, right? So then the other thing about the leader is, is if someone in shadow around leadership is going to become a good leader again and step into that strong heart, there's healing necessary. You know, healers make good leaders and he, healing is the path to good leadership and good leadership is the path to good healing. So healing requires a full and loving heart. It's terrifying. It's a terrifying position to be in. Nothing frightens us contemporary humans more than living life with a truly open heart. So because of that, we enter the shadow of the healer when that courage required for the full heart collapses. Our actions become half-hearted and we don't quite risk that full, raw, vulnerable place of true love. So in that place... Um, of accessing that whole heart needed for love, for healing, the healer then, so in the place of that, the healer expresses, pardon me, two enormous collective shadows. This is the martyr who does not attend to his or her own healing and the addict who indulges in the neediness and withdrawal that happens when we become half-hearted. It's the nature of half-heartedness. Is it needy and withdrawn? And so we seek this false intensity um, and those actions, that seeking the false intensity through addiction is completely rewarded socially. Workaholics, sexholics, all these people, totally rewarded socially. And so, the, so we see how the very social structure uh, supports us giving over into these roles in the collective shadow. So this was last week. And so in, 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 just, in just that, in just the whole healer-leader uh, spectrum, um, we've discussed huge systems that appear to limit and shape our lives. We have described governments. We've described religions. We've described our current health care system. We've described history in the past world. And they all move in this place of our collective shadow. And these systems, this is the piece that is so important. These systems are perfectly designed by us to give us these roles to play until we get so sick of the outcome of playing those roles that we are forced to wake up in this dream. And we wake up from our complicit sleep to these shadow selves and we accept them. And then we become the people who can transform them. And we become then worthy of our allies, worthy of these selves we have disowned. And we must become worthy, not just for ourselves and our own shadow work, but because we are needed in the collective or by the collective to pull our energy out of the shadow so that it grows weak. These shadows it's collective, so that they grow weak and to put our energy into the new story, the people that are willing to speak and to act from a place of truth. Okay, so that's one half of the story. So the second half of the story 
of this collective, you know, as if that wasn't enough, right? I know, I get it. Uh, so let's look at this other half, though, of this collective shadow story that, um, you know, it doesn't imprison us. But it is as if it's in the very air that we breathe. And there are some days it does feel like a prison, granted. But that's part of the very shadow message itself. It's not. It never is. It's just a dream that we can wake up in and become lucid and change. So it is really, really critical to wake up in this dream and to take the crazy logic pill. It's just like the matrix. Take the right pill, Neo. We have to take this crazy logic pill. This transformation of the collective shadow is absolutely necessary or nothing else changes. And so there is a piece of teaching from the spirit world. And I'm not the only teacher who shares this. But basically the teaching is this. Until you bring just a little bit more warriorship into your life, nothing else can happen. That... that that takes a bit of warriorship to transform anything, be it the leader, be it the teacher, be it the healer, be it the child, be it the adult, whatever it is, whatever needs to change in your life, even if it's something utterly grounded in reality and mundane like your job or your relationship, right? Whatever it is requires a little bit more warriorship than you're bringing now. And so everything, all the change that needs to happen, all the transformation that is calling out to us happens if we bring a bit of warriorship, a bit more warriorship to our day, to our life. And that until we do that, nothing's really going to change. We'll just keep cycling and allowing the sort of the fact that we're alive and the fact that we can't help but learn something to keep incrementally moving us into to to just a little bit more conscious versions of exactly the same patterns. Because the problem with that theory about that being okay is that your energy is still in the same pattern, which means your energy is still invested in the collective shadows. And what, what we're trying to talk about here is raising some awareness around our communal responsibility to transforming these shadows. It's not just about us as individuals. And yet we need to learn how to do it as individuals to have the skills to do it collectively. Okay, so my point here then is this piece, true warriorship, is a really important energy to begin to draw out of the shadow. So if you're going to just do one thing, if you're going to listen to both these shows and do one thing, then here it is, is Drawing a bit of warriorship out of a shadow expression in your life and bring it in to um, your everyday awareness. Accept it, transform it, and then make it an ally. And that little bit of warriorship then will allow you to change whatever else the next thing is that's on your list. So true warriorship requires an open heart. However, in the politically correct, new age, pixie dust approach to spirituality and shamanism promoted by the collective shadow over the past 20 years, um, this has created the belief that anything having to do with war is bad. Just across the board, it's bad. 
right? Jud no judgment there. Hmm. <laughs> so warriorship becomes bad. We can't use war language to speak of anything spiritual or we're not being spiritual, right? There's a little politically correct police. Um, and there are fewer. And so what I've noticed in, as we've moved away from any kind of actual conversation about warriorship or true warriorship and the open-heartedness it requires is I see fewer and fewer truly open hearts in the world. In this effort to, to move away from war as a solution, which I'm totally down with, right? Because we're moving so much energy in the shadow, we end up creating a whole bunch of people, right, with closed hearts. It's not working. You know, so, so the warrior is collectively defined as bad, and then there's these fewer and fewer hearts that are open in the world. And what I see, unfortunately, the change in the last 20 years is that no one has the balls to kill off the parts of themselves that no longer serve them. It's all about forgiving everything and accepting everything and loving everything. But part of the warriorship piece in that understanding is if I am going to have new resources to do something different, I must sacrifice something that's no longer useful. I mean, this, this, this perspective of just not having the balls to kill something off that's not useful anymore is suffocating and stagnating. It's, it's really um, anti-Dao. It's missing the point entirely. But that's what shadow energies do. That is exactly what shadows energies do in their great perfection. And so what's happening, what I really see happening in the um, transformation over the last 25 years is that the warrior inside each of our hearts rises silently, turns his back on this village of well-meaning people and sets out to find crazy woman, leaving us behind and grieving with each step for those who do not have the heart to do what it takes to truly love life. Living each day with an open heart takes great courage. It's not about being nice. It takes great courage to live with an open heart. Have absolutely no illusions. You cannot nice your way into this or pixie dust your way into this or perfect yourself into this. It is an act of warriorship to greet each day with an open heart. And warriorship is in the steady daily repetition of discipline. And it is equally in the moments of crazy, unscripted, hair on fire, actions required to discern what is truly going on, face our fears, and do whatever it takes in the moment. And that is warriorship. And without it, we will not change the story. With it, we will. And that is why if all you're going to do is drag a little bit of warriorship out of the collective shadow, do it. So here's how you would know if you've got warrior energy participating in the collective shadow. So the open heart of the warrior collapses, right, as we move into shadow, and all manner of misuse of power arises. Okay. 
Um, and each of these misuses of power, since this is the great, um, the great teaching of the uber shadow of the old world that we've just stepped out of, you know, so all of us alive listening to this show lived it. So we know it. So we have that story and the great teaching in the shadow of that story is about fire, the misuse of fire and the right use of fire, the right use of will. How do we use the life force of a human being in the right way? That's the question. And the, and the shadow energies of that old story lay out for us in great beauty, legendary beauty, all of the ways to misuse power. And so we have this shadow energy um, beautifully displayed around us for us to learn from. And we are participating in it one way or another. And it's all about these crazy things we do instead of picking up our power and using it in a good way. So, the, so, so there's the first one then. There is the rebel without a cause. So the, the open heart of the warrior collapses it's closed heart and what emerges in our need our need to take action is this rebel where the power is owned but it's misdirected because the heart is closed to a larger vision and the connections and interconnections that are present with others so this isn't saying that rebellion is a bad thing but it's saying that over-identifying with the role of the rebel as a collective shadow is one of the many ways that we make sure actual change and transformation doesn't happen. It renders the warrior ineffective when it just cycles in this identification with the rebel. So another shadow uh, collective shadow of the warrior and this takes lots of roles to play this one out but is the energy of the disciple and this is the energy of your warriorship heart your big open heart collapses and so you don't own your power and you project your authority you still own your authority but you project it out it's misdirected onto some teacher or guru and in that, then, there's no taking any responsibility for the fact that the, the teacher or the guru in your life is now going to have to play out your shadow around warriorship for you because you've just cast them in that role by projecting your authority onto them. And then the next piece that happens that makes this um, unproductive, I mean, other than the obvious – is that when that happens and the teacher, guru, shaman, whomever, president, you know, turns out to be human and flawed. Hello, human, flawed. Okay, human and flawed. We're horribly betrayed without realizing in our enormous power that we're not owning, we've just cast that person in that script to show us our misuse of power. No one is innocent in these collective shadows. So another collective shadow of the warrior energy. So the warrior's open heart collapses. 
And the power then is not owned, nor is the authority. And the, and the action that comes out of that, the, the collective shadow energy that comes out of that is the victim. And so uh, with the warrior's heart closed, when we step into that role, we cannot see the power of our own actions and the power of our inactions. And the blame is placed everywhere else. And, and what's fascinating is, is in the placing of that blame, those who are really identified with this victim role and playing that out culturally, taking on that role, end up being great dominators and, and victimizing others without even seeing it. It's um, a deep, deep shadow pattern that we have inherited, quite honestly, from the old world. It's a big pattern. And so if, if, if you notice that in your life, the victim, being the victim, playing the victim, um, having been victimized, literally, in terms of the collective, part of your process then to own your power is to pull your own energy out of that shadow pattern. And then there's an interesting shadow energy of the warrior that always goes unaddressed because by its very nature, it's invisible. And people that are willing to give over their power and their authority to others and operate invisibly behind the scenes are deeply rewarded by the shadow energies around power. To be the invisible, so the invisible one is this warrior Okay, the, the open heart of the warrior is closed. And the invisible person is so afraid of their own power and afraid, frankly, of misusing their power that they just um, give it over. It's the most common abuse of power is your choice in life not to use it. And in particular, your choice in life not to use it for what you are destined to use it for. So it's those people that attach their destiny to someone else, someone bigger, brighter, more charismatic. Um, I see this often um, in shamanic circles where people are attracted to very charismatic leaders without realizing that their own shamanic life isn't flourishing, but the charismatic leaders is. And it's just playing out roles in all of these shadow patterns. And so when the warrior's open heart collapses into the closed heart, it's really important for the visionary energy to rise up. And this is one of the great um, sneakinesses of these collective shadows right now is the warrior collapses into the closed heart and then the visionary goes down too. And it's really important for the visionary to rise up. Um, people, people tease me because I see a lot of movies, but I see a lot of a very particular kind of movie. And part of the reason that I see these movies is they are all movies about the visionary rising up, or they are all movies that support my own inner visionary in rising up. Some of them are considered pretty stupid movies, but the point is the message in it is the hero against impossible odds and having that vision person who is unwilling to to give up the vision 
And that that is one of the many ways that I sort of nourish that visionary part of myself that could collapse like anybody else. I'm human, right? People give me a hard time. That's what I love about a particular kind of teaching story is that it reminds the visionary in spite of everything else. Leaders down um, with a weak heart, healers down with a um, half-heartedness, the warriors down with a closed heart, but the visionary rises up. But what if it could still be true? How can we make it happen? And so this visionary, visionary energy really must rise up. But today, the belief in our shared and collective shadows generates an ever-present mist of doubt. I mean, there's really this, this growing belief as more and more of the money gets um, coalesced in 1% of the population on the planet and less and less is available for everybody else, there's this growing doubt that we can ever affect any kind of real change. There's a feeling that, well, we've been working so hard since the 60s and 70s and things have only gotten worse. Well, I would say we've allowed too much energy to continue to play out in the collective shadows. And because of that, the collective shadows have grown strong. And so all of our hard work has largely been ineffective because while we were consciously working to be effective, we were allowing our unconscious free reign. And the shadows appear to have won. But I don't think so because of the changing of the worlds. Um, I've never seen people so cranky at Christmas time in America as they were coming up on that solstice time and the changing of things. And I have never seen so much of the shadow energies running for cover, desperately trying to find a new way to function in the dark and in the secret and grabbing at people to get food to feed off of. And this is the time for us to believe in the vision, for us to really believe we chose to be alive now to participate our humble part in the writing of the new story. And what I say to you is the same thing I say to myself in my own dark moments. Why not? So what if we're wrong? Who cares? At least we lived our life with nobility. We lived in a way um, that would make our descendants proud. Why not? Even if it does nothing, why not rise up in the vision? Why allow this mist of doubt to permeate your life? It's not really a very fun choice. And most of us are going to live a while. And it'd be nice to have a little fun in that. So why buy in? Why not cultivate a vision for something else? No one's ever going to prove which is right and which is wrong. So why not choose a vision that makes you want to get out of bed in the morning? So this is the thing then with the visionary. It has to rise up. But today, there's a great deal of doubt. For obvious reasons, very well grounded in ordinary reality. And we are playing out the roles of the collective shadow stories. And we have to choose 
come hell or high water, which they could both be coming, but we have to choose to not play those roles anymore. Find another way. Okay, so the thing about doubt, though, is it is toxic and it collapses the clear heart of the visionary. So whether you doubt in yourself or you doubt in the possibilities of the big picture, it doesn't really matter. Once the clear heart collapses, our connection with the vision is lost. Even if your vision is simply you were going to actually eat the proper foods for lunch today, that today was going to be the day you were going to make it breakfast, lunch, and dinner with the foods that were not going to send your body into conniptions, right? So even if that's how big the vision is, it's still a vision, and doubt collapses vision. And we need to be aware of that and understand doubt for the toxic fume that it is. So whether you doubt in yourself or these bigger possibilities, the heart collapses and um, our connection to the vision is lost. And what is meant to inspire then becomes a liar, right? So instead of staying in the vision, the creativity and the imagination begin to create the lie, to reinforce the shadow collective story. So we begin to lie to ourselves about who we are. Oh, I'm such a fuck up. I'm never going to eat the right thing for lunch. I'm never going to lose this 30 pounds, right? That's the story we start to tell ourselves. We start lying to ourselves immediately. As soon as the clear heart collapses, the liar takes over. And uh, we lie to ourselves about who we are and uh, what we truly need in life. And we lie to others about what we believe matters, about what truly has meaning, about what is worth living for. One of the greatest lies, actually, is this. But I love him. But I love her. Now, that actual statement probably isn't a lie. But we're saying it instead of saying the truth, which is, I love him and I know in this moment this relationship is not right for me. That to be in it, I must deny my own self-love, my own self-worth, my own whatever, right? That's what that statement means. But the but, but I love him, but I love her is covering up the lie we're telling ourselves. That's happening because we've collapsed the vision of the relationship that would support and sustain us, that we could contribute our true authentic self to and support and sustain another, right? Very simple. Very toxic. So when we let the lying to ourselves and the lying to others begin to define um, our conversations and our visions, we arrive at self-denial, which is the great feeding trough of the collective shadows. So if we deny ourselves, then ourself, you know, if we deny ourselves, we're not using it, then ourself is there for everything else to feed off of. We're just food. Think about it. So inhabit yourself for better or for worse, exactly who you are in this moment, warts and all. We have collective shadows to dispel together. We must disperse them so that we have a page to begin to write this new story on. And it's okay. It doesn't have to be a blank page. You don't have to be perfect. I don't have to be perfect. We can start by writing in the margins. 
But if we begin to pull our energy out and refuse to play the roles necessary in the collective shadows, then the collective shadows run out of story. There'll be less and less on each page and more and more room for us to write the new story. And effectively doing shadow work for me is one of the great gifts shamanism offers us in our contemporary time. So where do we begin? Which is what you should be asking right now. So what, Christina? Nice inspiration. How do I begin? That is the question you should be asking. How do I begin? The secret to all of this is in the crazy logic, which means we need to learn to deal with what appears to be straight logic. And straight logic, like what we feel is logical, you know, just your logic, my logic, what we think is logical, is based on our beliefs. And so if we want to learn to clear these energies, we must learn how to actually dismantle a belief. So beliefs are tricky little things because it's, again, like arguing with a fundamentalist. It's a waste of time. Right, because beliefs are arguing with beliefs, and that's not, it doesn't work. Right? A belief exists in ourselves that we would stand up for and fight for and argue about because there's in us a logic that supports the belief. Now, the thing that we don't understand, our mind tells us that this logic is some sort of pristine, um, you know, like computer motherboard or something. And it's not. It's more like the mousetrap game. It's cobbled together. You know, the boot kicks the bucket, the bucket drops the bowling ball, it round, rolls down the stairs, it falls into the flower bed. You know, I mean, it's the logic that supports our beliefs is utterly and completely cobbled together with some truths and some very weak, weird links of logic that are entirely created by the strangeness of our life. Whatever happened to happen to us becomes our reality. And often the things that happen to us as children, not necessarily because of us, but to us as children become parts of that logic. And so our beliefs are always this sort of pristine, um, I think of it like the Washington Monument in D.C., you know, these, these monoliths of pristine beauty, I am a belief. But that whole thing is built on this crazy structure that barely holds itself together, which is this logic that we run that supports why that belief is true. And so this is the way you deal with a belief that you find in yourself. You say to yourself, hmm, belief, you're interesting. Why are you true? Don't argue with it. Accept it. You're true. So explain to me why you're true. And, and feel, don't just think, but feel the logic. You know, kind of see it as this crazy cobbled together contraption that supports that belief. And as you listen to it without arguing, you cannot argue. You must accept you must be curious. You must be interested. And see the belief. I mean, sorry, see the logic that supports the belief. In it, there will be one link in that contraption that is utterly insane. You know it is absolutely not true. But 
the logic flow that supports that belief is founded on it. And it can be a belief like dad left, so I'm bad. Um, Mom was uh, borderline personality, utterly abused her power, so I'm not going to use mine at all. I might hurt someone. I mean, it's these, these, these little pieces that we draw out of our life experience that link these beliefs together. And so what we do is we go into that weak link, that place where we have this utterly insane idea of reality, and we undermine that with the greater truth, the greater truth of the connection of all things, the greater truth that everything is energy, and even the greater truth that we're all here playing out shadow patterns together, that we're all here together for a reason to play out roles with each other, the greater truth that we chose it all before we got here and that we've created everything, even as children dependent on others through our choices. We bring that greater truth to that crazy little wobbly piece of logic and it breaks. Not because we've argued it to death, but because we've loved it, we've understood how desperately it came together to hold our life together and that we today are stronger, we are clearer, we are more open and more loving and we can hold that in a different way. And so when that logic falls down, the belief topples. Most beliefs are pretty top heavy as it is. And in that way, we could begin to undermine this logic structure that reinforces our participation in the collective shadow. And then we draw those crazy wounded selves out of the shadow and work with them to transform them in the many ways we already understand how to work with ourselves, and find in that enemy this ally, this true aspect of ourself that we so long ago relegated to that collective shadow closet. And in this way, we will become the people who can write a new story for the new world. So I give thanks to the ancestors who have gathered around with us today and who will be with us every day to help us to do what we have come here to do. I give thanks to the earth below and the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. Next week, our guest will be Evelyn Reisdyke. She and I will be discussing her new book, Spirit Walking, and her path to discovering our need for a strong working relationship with spirit, if we are going to move with spirit as the indigenous shamans still do. She calls this relationship a reverent participatory relationship, which is in the intentional, caring, and honorific way that shamans approach the world. So Evelyn explains that it is a full-hearted and a whole-body way of being in connection. So I hope you all will join us next week. Until then, go recover some aspect of yourself from the shadow and have a good week.